This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. Vegas. This is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. I'm Kyle. And I'm Nicole. And today on the podcast, our interview with BattleBots superfan and Behind the Bots field reporter, Mary Catherine Carr. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have four news items for you today. First up, Monday marked the start of the 2021 season of BattleBots. New this year, The Venue. For the first time in two decades, BattleBots is being filmed once again in Las Vegas, this time at the newly constructed Caesars Entertainment Studios. Also returning this year, a live studio audience who had to show proof of vaccination or a recent negative COVID test to get in the door. Also new, a surprise new arena hazard internally called The Shelf, as well as what appears to be new arena barriers designed to make chucking your opponent out of the arena more difficult. Speaking of surprises, we got word this week that two robots will be adding surprise flamethrowers to their designs, the lifting horizontal spinner Ghost Raptor and Jason Vasquez's new lifter bot Defender. Speaking of new things, we got our first photographs of rookie bots, pardon my French, Riptide, Glitch, and Triple Crown. We also got confirmation that fan favorite Sub-Zero, Rotator, Lockjaw, and Mammoth will be returning to the competition. However, the returning bot that surprised everyone, and one that I'm personally very delighted about, is Yeti. Captain Greg Gibson had previously said he was going into retirement and was hanging up the transmitter. This season, he's returning with the new team C2 Robotics. And finally, conspicuously absent again this year will be Paul Ventimiglia and his championship-winning robot, Bite Force. Like a lot of builders, Paul sat out the 2020 season of BattleBots due to the pandemic, This year, he's sitting out the 2021 season due to a breakdown in contract negotiations between his team and BattleBots itself. In a post on the team's Facebook page, Paul writes, quote, Behind the scenes, for the last two seasons, we've been attempting to get contract agreement improvements from BattleBots, but they've been unable to create movement on issues relating to team sustainability. I am hopeful that they will want to make this work and offer builders contractual improvements that will create a true win-win scenario for teams and event organizers alike. This post begins to peel back a bit of how the TV show gets made and gives us a window into what the builders are talking about with the BattleBots organization. Now, I really want to talk about this. I feel like it is probably the most important conversation of the year in some ways. Um, 
And I also want to just kind of lay out a couple of caveats. So first, we don't know all of the facts. We haven't reviewed the contracts that BattleBot sends to builders. We also don't know how much money BattleBots earns every year or even if it's profitable. However, we have talked to builders off the record about contracts, and I think we have a better than average understanding of what's happening. So uh, I figured this is kind of a big conversation. I would love to get your thoughts. Um, if I'm understanding the main points, it, it really kind of comes down to three major things. First, sponsorships, then build stipends, and then ownership of intellectual property. So to kind of set the stage, uh, let's let's first talk about sponsorships. I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, if you want to build a battle bot, it's uh, going to cost you somewhere between $4,000 and $80,000. You know, if we took a look at last year's build receipts for uh, Jackpot on the low end and Malice on the high end. Um, so if there's 60 bots in a season, it's going to cost somewhere between a quarter million dollars to build all of those robots and all the way up to like $4.8 million. Um, and so that's a lot of money and the teams spe spend a lot of their own money, like out of pocket to come up with this tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars per, per build. So you can make some of that money back um, in the form of sponsorships. However, uh, not all sponsorships. Uh, BattleBots will reject a sponsor because either they're A, not family friendly. That happened with at least one team that I heard about. Uh, B, BattleBots wants to sign the sponsor themselves. So like, that's why we don't see a lot of uh, robots or any robots sponsored by Lincoln Electric or, or McMaster. Um, or C, you know, the Discovery Channel, uh, the sponsor is so big, the Discovery Channel wants to sign them themselves for a televised advertising deal. So what that means is that you're not going to see a big Coca-Cola robot because Discovery wants it. You're not going to see a big Lincoln Electric robot because BattleBots wants it. And so we're stuck with a lot of really very small sponsors from small companies. So um, builders get squeezed, basically. Um, and there are very, very few builders who are able to fund the entire build of their robot out of pocket. Um, like, sorry, completely with, with sponsors and not dip into their, their own finances. So uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> I've been talking for like, you know, five minutes. Um, your thoughts on sponsorships. Do you think that they're currently fair? Can they be fixed um, under the, the current structure? I know that we've talked to a bunch of builders off the record about this, right? Yeah. And it is my understanding that if you do land one of those big sponsorships, you get a cut of that, even if it is not like if that sponsorship ends up going to Discovery and BattleBots in general, you get like a piece of that, even if it's not your specific sponsorship. Yeah. But I don't know if that's enough incentive to hunt down and try to put in the time and effort to attract one of those big sponsorships. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that in very rare cases, the sponsorships also go the other direction where the sponsor comes to BattleBots first and then BattleBots is able to secure like an arena side sponsorship um, and also roll in a team that needs funding. Yeah, like Dan B and Mobot. Yeah, that's the exact that's the exact robot that I was thinking of. Um, but that doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. And usually it's the other way where BattleBots is saying that sponsor is too big. 
you can't have it. <laughs> or, you know, like in the case of Chevrolet or Google or Coca-Cola, you know, that's a national sponsor. That's going to be Discoveries. And what really happens is there are a lot of builders who spend a lot of money to build these robots themselves. I I think that when it, when it comes to sponsorship, that there is a, um, a bit of a war perspective on, you know, what is an actual grassroots um, uh, way to, to bring in uh, bigger sponsors. Uh, you know, it's not NASCAR yet. So Tide and Coca-Cola and Budweiser are not tripping over themselves to advertise on BattleBots. It's, it's a show uh, that is arguably the best show on Discovery, uh, but, you know, it, it is part of the Discovery lineup, and that it in itself kind of hamstrings, I think, some of the opportunities that they have in sponsorships because people don't see it as a place to sponsor their particular product or company. But, you know, if you kind of open things up for the builders to go out and solicit, like, really unique sponsorship opportunities with companies like you know like uh wendy's like weird social media like presence uh you know uh wendy clapping back on twitter like i wouldn't put it past like wendy's to say you know what here's a quarter of a million dollars for a, a robot this is going to be absolutely ridiculous and hilarious like and then the next thing you know wendy's is actually sponsoring the show um, now, of course, that was purely anecdotal and, and that was just me pulling something out of thin air. But like there are going to be opportunities that the builders are capable of procuring that the show is not going to be able to just kind of do, you know, out of, out of thin air. Uh, so like when when there's a bot that, let's say, um, is a, like a fan favorite or, uh, you know, there's a bot that. Um, you know, people in a specific region would kind of root for or something like why, why wouldn't you kind of let, you know, that, that team, uh, you know, bring in uh, unique and interesting sponsorship opportunities to the show. They'll start at first with the bot and helping them, you know, really be able to afford to build something bigger and better uh, or faster and, or harder hitting. Uh, and now you, you know, you have a greater diversity of, of sponsorship. I think a lot of this has to do with 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 corporate red tape um but someone just needs to do a better job of pitching to them like this is this is why there needs to be this kind of grassroots approach for sponsorship we got to let the builders do what they want if if ibm is going to sponsor a bot yeah right right they're going to they're going to they're going to make sure that they're not going to be just a bot that explodes in the first two seconds you know you're, you're talking about bringing better uh, better uh, uh, robots to a robot competition. It's just going to make things better, bigger, more exciting. You know, this is um, this is not out of the the realm of possibility either. I mean, there's a there, you know there's a team that has an IBMer on it. Like why why can't this be an opportunity? Um, you know, to to bring in a sponsor even of that magnitude to a single team within a sport. Um, so I think that whatever that red tape is needs to get kind of it needs to get sheared. I mean, the, the challenge is, you know, IBM, you're right, you know, so Logan Davis is an IBMer. I'm sure that Logan would love to get a little bit of that sweet, sweet IBM marketing money. Um, the challenge is, as soon as Logan comes to BattleBots and says, hey, you know, IBM wants to cut me a $50,000 check, and this is going to pay for my entire build, BattleBots will say, well, let's help, like, help us get IBM on the hook and then we will make IBM a discovery channel 
sponsor, you know, and instead of $50,000, you'll get 20% of that. Um, so enjoy your $10,000 and please help us with your employer. Like that is very different. You know, like I think there's a very big re- I mean, like a lot of these builders work for huge companies. A lot of them are engineers who work at big companies. Yeah. And I think it'd be very easy for them to ask for $50,000 or $100,000, but they can't because they have this sponsorship hoop that they have to drive that they have to jump through there's there's just something you know and i maybe it's not the right word maybe it is the right word but there's something that is um a little cultish or a little predatory about you know um you know sending uh you know sending folks out there to do the legwork uh only for them to get penalized for doing the legwork Right. Um, right. You know, if you go out and you and you and you do the legwork to get that sponsorship deal and you bring that back to the show, like 100 percent of that sponsorship money could go to you until that sponsor decides to grow with BattleBots and increase the sponsorship. Uh, now, like anything over that amount is going to the, you know, the actual production. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of different ways to look at it that are different from the current model. I th- I think that part of the part of the issue that we we are also seeing to your point, Chris, you know, Whale Rock and Discovery are not used to presenting sponsorship sports content. BattleBots still gets presented in a reality TV show way, right? It is a TV show about a robot competition, and. What we're hoping for, and I think what we need really going forward in it in order for this to be equitable for the builders is a more sports-like mentality. And therefore, you know, like the UFC, you need it to be part of the contract that I can throw on my t-shirt as soon as that fight's over with my six sponsors on it. Kyle, is that why we're in Las Vegas? Well, I think so. I mean... I think that's definitely part of it. Think about like early BattleBots when they brought in actual boxing promoters to help them with their early production, you know, and those those pay-per-views were a lot more sports centric. Now, the sport was young. There was not the kind of cable aspect to it. But the way the UFC does it is they have their network show right on Fox that's where these guys build a name for themselves. And then they have the big pay-per-view competitions and that's where the big, the big money matches happen, right? Like that's where all that stuff is. BattleBots isn't there, right? You're, you're not, we're not at that point where it's a sustainable thing, but I think the only way you get there is by having a more sports centric mentality, you know, like get your sponsors, get the best sponsors you can bring them in, wear their t-shirts, put their stuff all over your bot, make it look like a NASCAR, just make it look like, the trunks of a UFC fighter, just get it all on there. And then if those sponsorships do want to grow with the sport, you know, a lot of those NASCAR sponsorships do turn into title NASCAR sponsorships, right? They start with one car and then they become a title NASCAR sponsor or UFC is the same thing. You know, you start with a fighter and the next thing you know, you're also getting a bit, your logo put um, down on the mat as well for different fights. So like this organization or this uh, like contractual structure exists it already exists but right now we're talking about adding it to a reality tv show instead of a sporting event yeah and 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 my 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 suggestion that perhaps the reason why they're in las vegas is to um 
bring that legitimacy to the you know the the actual sport of combat robotics because yeah the the second that you're there in that type of atmosphere and you realize that this is not something scripted that this is not something that um was kind of uh, drummed up in a in a in a in a PR uh, uh office somewhere in in Manhattan that that these are two uh 250 pound machines that are going to kill each other and one might win, you know, the other might win. You don't know. I, I, I'm curious if if this was actually like a strategic move to kind of bring it there because you're going to expedite that process by kind of uh, you're, you're shedding your wings of of the reality version of the show. And, and you're there forefront of where, you know, prize fighting is uh, this is the mecca for it. There is an easy solution to this, which is BattleBots says... Um, we recognize that you are spending tens of thousands of dollars of your own money and that you're creating value for this, this, um, this business, you know, the business that we're running, this TV show that we're running. Yeah. So if you get accepted, we're going to cut you a $50,000 check and you can use that $50,000 any way you'd like, but please, you know, build a great robot and come and fight. And I think that by not insisting that Discovery Channel pay the extra, what is that, two and a half million dollars, three million dollars, you know, um, in build stipends, that they are obscuring the true cost of the show, you know, because it looks like it's much cheaper to produce. It's an extremely expensive high-end TV show, and a lot of the the best parts of the show, the robots, the the teams, you know, it, it's it's born on the back of regular people like you and me who love this sport and love this TV show so much that they um, spend a lot of money and a lot of time to participate without being paid ahead of time. Um, you know, like back in the ABC era, there were build stipends. I guess we're moving on to my second point. There were build stipends, but when they went to the Discovery Channel, those build stipends went away. There was a bit more cash uh, last season with um, bounty hunters. So if you won your bounty, you got, um, you know, a piece of the $25,000 pot. Um, but it's still not enough to close the gap between these very small sponsors, many of whom don't even pay cash. Like they, they give you discounts on batteries and wheels and stuff and the true, the, the, the costs, the costs of the robot. So, uh, I guess, <laughs> is it possible for, uh, for BattleBots to pay build stipends? Is there a way for them to figure out how to do it? Is, is it like a, is it morally necessary, I guess, for for the organization to to provide build stipends? Your your thoughts? Not on the Discovery Channel. I mean, have you ever seen Naked and Afraid? They don't even pay those people. What? Wait, are you serious? Dude, those people are going to the African jungle, wearing no clothes, getting malaria. Literally, like it's happened multiple times on the show that people have gotten malaria in whatever location they drop them in threatened by large cats and the only thing they get is social media cred and they get to put on their instagram afterwards you know season whatever of naked and afraid wow okay like part of it is is discovery right and th there's even jokes in the entertainment industry you know oh well this is a discovery gig mm. you know what i mean so like you got that abc deal right in the first two seasons that's 
that's real money. ABC's real money. That's Disney money. You know, like that's they're going to throw build stipends out there if they hear from Greg and Trey, hey, this is how much it costs to build a robot. These are our this is our talent. You know, we need to reimburse them for part of that build. Then ABC is going to say, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Go for it. Can you even picture like Greg having to go to discovery executives and being like, listen, I need I need some more cash so we can give these people stipends. And they're like, okay, but can we make the builders naked? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I don't know. Okay. So like this, this is, I mean, every time I turn on Netflix and I see that, that awful tile of uh, B movies and C movies and D movies. And I, I read, oh, oh, Netflix cut, cut a $60 million check for this. And, you know, six people are going to watch it. Uh, I just think, dear God, what could we do with Netflix on, uh, you know, Netflix money and BattleBots, you know? I hear I think that would that would head us more into the realm of reality TV show about a robot fight, a robot competition. Okay. Say what, 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 what do you mean by that? They're going to like if you give this if you go to a place like Netflix you're going to get more input, right? It wouldn't just be a Whale Rock production. It would be a Netflix in conjunction with Whale Rock, which means they're going to want a say in it. They're going to want a say in how it's structured. They're going to want to say in how it's scripted. They're going to want to say in how, you know what I mean? Like they're going to want to say in all of that. I don't, I think Discovery's pretty hands off with all that. They know Whale Rock does good work. So they're like, all right, this is the amount of money you have to work with. And this is how many hours we want give us the thing. And Whale Rock's like, no problem. We'll give you the thing. Um, So I think that it's a very different scenario when you're going into Netflix and Netflix is going to want something that's going to be binge worthy, right? They're going to want something that's going to have those cliffhangers at the end that are going to keep people streaming the next episode. That's where they make their money, right? So that's, that's where the direction you would go in. Whereas, you know, I think if we go down the build stipend route, we're heading more into a reality TV show about a robot fight. Uh, I don't know. No matter where where that happens, no matter where that happens, that's speculation, Kyle. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you on that. It, well, this is all this is all speculation, but that's what I think. I mean, if you want it to be more like a sport, real sports have teams with sponsorships and their own funding and. You know, like one of the things we talk about in baseball all the time is how much money that team has to throw around for new recruits, right? Right. The NFL draft is also about how much the draftees or the teams can pay for those draftees. American sports, specifically American sports, but even when you're talking Formula One and and soccer clubs, it's also about how well you run your club, how well you run your team, and how well you are, how good you are raising money for that team. The New York Yankees is not the New York Yankees because there are better baseball players in New York than anywhere else in the United States. The New York Yankees is the New York Yankees because they have a ridiculously good team managing their money and making sure that they're bringing in the right talent. But in traditional sports, you have shared ownership and shared equity. If I want to purchase the Yankees, it's going to cost me billions of dollars, but I'm going to make that money back because I'm selling my own merchandise. I own my own brand. Yes. Um, I, I can I can sign whoever I want to be a sponsor inside of my own stadium. Um, I can sell tickets to my own stuff, you know? Um, it's not like... If, if Major League Baseball was like 
BattleBots, it would be the commissioner deciding which teams, you know, he thinks are interesting for the year and they all show up and they play for free, you know, and um, it's just it's just a completely different structure. I'm not saying we can't get there, but like we have to radically rethink the sport if we want to actually treat it like a sport versus a really interesting engineering TV show. I think one of the other points that people uh, are, you know, picking out of the contract that they have an issue with, and, and rightly so, is that they don't have the ownership of their bot or the likeness of their bot or the name or the brand that they work so hard to build. All of that is owned by battle bots. And so they're even hamstrung and being able to, like, technically legally sell merch or like profit off of the name of their battle bot because in the contract it's written that they can't even do that. So it's, which I think is maybe one of the points that they're going to be renegotiating for next year, but it, it like, it's just, it seems like a needless way to like cut the teams off at the ankles so that they, they can't even like form profits that way. And yeah, like some teams have, you know, chosen not to necessarily like follow that and have their own merch and have their own bot like related um, items and products for sale. But like, as I understand it, like right now, Greg and Trey don't necessarily enforce that really hard, but if someone else took over the production or if Greg and Trey changed their minds, like they could get sued um, for profiting off of their bot in a way that wasn't sanctioned or run by BattleBots itself. Right. Uh, ownership is is a major, major sticking point. Um, I, I think one of the challenges is, you know, you think about what, like the strongest brands in BattleBots today. It's Bite Force, it's Tombstone, it's Witch Doctor, it's Hypershock. You know, um, these these builders, they all have full-time jobs and their part-time job is marketing for BattleBots for free, marketing their own bots for free building brands and personas and stories behind their bots and doing a lot of unpaid field marketing, right? And um, at the end of the day, BattleBots owns the Witch Doctor brand. They don't own the physical robot, but they own Witch Doctor, the concept. So they could make as many Witch Doctor toys as they want. They could put Witch Doctor into a video game. They could sell Witch Doctor merchandise and the the split the revenue split with the witch doctor team is fully up to the negotiations between battlebots and witch doctor is that fair is that equitable is there a good reason can someone give me the devil's advocate for why battlebots the organization should own the brands for all of these amazing wonderful robots because we're in that we're in a transition right now think about it this way Original BattleBots. We're talking Comedy Central and before and then even after. Sure. Um, BattleBots didn't own those brands. They didn't own those bots. They didn't own any of that. Um, there were build stipends um, for like some competitors, as I recall, but it was not a thing, really. And sponsorships happened. I mean, like Magic the Gathering sponsored a rope. You know what I mean? Like there was there was big sponsorships that happened on the original BattleBot series. Then when we moved to ABC, there was no sponsors. Like if you remember those first few seasons, there were no sponsors on the robots at all. Um, 
wasn't a part of what they were doing and it went full on reality TV show or at least, you know, about a robot competition. The competition was real, but the show was a reality TV show. And now I feel like the remnants of that are still there with the Discovery contract. But BattleBots was a legitimate sports product packaged for a show on Comedy Central at one point. And now they want to be a legitimate sports product again, but all of their contractual basis and everything that they're running with is based off of this reality TV show model. So is there a good reason? No, it is a remnant of a transition. And I do feel like based on the the decision to move to Vegas, what we spoke with Greg about, about what he's hoping to do with that studio, that very nice empty studio that he has in Vegas, his kind of long-term thinking that we are going to move into a more sports-based, specifically combat sports-based type of production. And there, it is not sustainable to keep this model going forward into that. I, I think, yeah, that's, that's true. And it's also, you know, it's about putting a lasso around um, intellectual property and, and, and trying to stymie, you know, duplicative efforts from, let's just, let's face it. I mean, BattleBots is not the only uh, combat robotics uh, scene in the world. We see how fast the sport is growing in China. And I'm sure that the last thing that Greg and Trey would want you know, are all of these bots kind of migrating to a platform that gets a lot more views because of how many people over there are kind of tuning in. And the last thing that, you know, he wants to see is like Hypershock going uh, absolutely viral in in in, in China. Uh, you know, so that's that's why, um, you know, you, you want to try to retain not only uh, like the likeness and, and merchandising and everything of, of these bots, but, you know, the actual name of the bot themselves, that's that carries value. Uh, so now you, what you have to have is since an engineering team owns just the physical robot, they have to, they have to go off and they have to change the name of the bot and they have to try to make do with that. And it kind of, you know, um, uh, it kind of kneecaps them a little bit and, and, and prevents them from, uh, you know, growing their own brand. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can, I can understand both sides of that argument, but, um, I, I think that it, yeah, to, to your point, Kyle, it, it just alongside of it, it, I think it's also about just making sure that you try to snuff out, um, you know, other opportunities where, you know, this this bot, you know, is going to be recognized elsewhere. Here's here's the challenge. All right. BattleBots, if 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 we are to take a look at the current model, BattleBots is only sustainable from unpaid labor and unpaid goods um, from. 60 captains, right? Um, because without captains dipping into their savings accounts and paying for these parts themselves, uh, BattleBots obviously can't negotiate a larger contract with Discovery so that they can pay for that labor themselves. And I would say that that would be fine if it was still an open competition where you say, hey, listen, if you can show up and you can pay the $200 entry fee, you can fight. And you can get any sponsors you want and whatever you want, that's fine. And you can own it because you built this. But you don't do that because instead I 
send in my application. I haven't sent in an application, hypothetically. Uh, <laughs> I hypothetically send in an application to Greg and Trey and I say, I would really like to build a four-wheel uh, vertical spinner because I think that's pretty great and I think it's going to win. And Greg and Trey say, um, well, we already have a lot of those. So how about you build a super weird, like, uh, kind of spider-shaped robot, you know? And uh, maybe maybe it has, like, kind of a – it shoots balloons or something like that. I think that would be really interesting. And uh, so I, I instead build a really experimental robot that I – don't think is that competitive because that's what's going to get me on the show. I'm going to spend a ton of my own money to build this, this strange concept, right? This uncompetitive concept. And at the end of the day, I get paid nothing. I may not even get a travel stipend. Um, and Greg and Trey get to own my weird creation. And so like the money part I feel is broken. The ownership part I feel is broken and it just like this this constant like we we are we're in a transition phase and just stick with us and keep spending your own money and someday we're going to get there it just is like i i don't know i don't know if like this is the only solution and if battle i mean i know that that greg and trey want to pay the builders and if they could they would but they can't right now and instead, we've seen over the last five seasons, six seasons, that builders have dipped into their pockets and spent millions of dollars that they haven't been reimbursed for to get onto a TV show that they're not paid for to serve as actors, you know, um, and uh, talk to the cameras in the pits and to be subjected to, um, in some cases, really awful people online <laughs> because, uh, you know, I've got somebody on my TV and I really don't like them and I can't wait to tell them that. And at the end of the day, you're just like, wow, I, I've i spent so much money to get this sport off the ground for something I really, really care about. And I don't know when I am ever going to get compensated for all this value that I've created. And that is my soapbox. <laughs> I'm going to get off my soapbox. <laughs> It's not even, not even in every case are you, uh, you know, uh, are are you just kind of soliciting this 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 free labor, let's call it, from from these builders, this free investment from their for from their own uh, savings accounts. It's so much more complex than that. Um, you know, it's it's not just a, a team captain who's writing a check. It's uh, it's it's a team captain who's writing a check. And and maybe borrowing an extra eighty five hundred from their uncle Sal. It's uh, it's all of uh, Will Bales's friends' money. It's I work at a animatronics company. I work at uh, I work at this lab. I work at you know this um, uh, this this uh, this robotics uh, you know uh, outfit. And I have access to all of uh, the machinery and tools and and everything that you know that environment provides to me. That's also like kind of tangentially also getting tapped, right? So it's it's. I wish it was as simple as everyone's just there at home building a robot in their garage, and it's a passion thing, and they're gonna they're gonna spend X number of dollars. But it's about each of these kind of captains tapping their entire ecosystem to deliver the best possible product to the show. And so you're exploiting all of that. 
Yeah. And it feels like we are stuck in kind of an awkward middle space between true competition, open competition, um, equitable ownership. That's kind of original run, Comedy Central run. And then the future, which is this is a profitable sport. This is a profitable um, job for people who are you know, have millions of fans, people who um, want to support these robots, people who want to turn this into a full-time job, um, just the same way as back in the day, we had NASCAR drivers who were construction workers during the day and drove at night. And we had baseball players who, you know, worked as lawyers during the day and then played baseball, you know, at night. We have to do the things, we have to have the difficult conversations, do the necessary things to get us beyond this hump but right now, it seems very much like the builders have not a lot of power in these conversations. And it takes somebody brave like Paul Ventimiglia to stand up and say, I, you know, as the multi-time champion of this sport, am voluntarily sitting out because I'm trying to take a stand. And I'm encouraging my builders, you know, my, my fellow builders to come along with me. And I think it's really, it's it's important for us to have this conversation. I don't want to talk about this. I love BattleBots so much. I love Greg and Trey. I, of course, love the builders. And I think we need to ask ourselves if the way that we've always done it is really the best way forward. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Behind the Bots field reporter, Mary Catherine Carr. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, BattleBots superfan Mary Catherine Carr. This year, Mary purchased a super ultra mega VIP ticket, granting her access to all 18 live filming sessions, backstage tours, and exclusive merchandise. We're catching up with Mary after the first day of filming, with 16 more filming sessions to go before BattleBots crowns the winner of the 2021 season. We're looking forward to getting an on-the-ground look at the taping, so welcome back to the show, Mary. Hello. Hello. Um, you are calling us from the car. You are driving to the morning session on Tuesday. Is that correct? I guess we're kind of giving people a behind the scenes look where, where you are right now. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I'm currently on my way to drop off my dog at daycare and then uh, heading to BattleBots where I'll be in the parking lot. I love it. Um, okay. So before we get started, i um, <laughs> I want to say that I promise that we will not spoil anything uh, about any of the fights, right? We're not going to spoil anything about any of the new stuff that uh, you've seen already as a fan. Um, however, I'm hoping to get some of your thoughts and general feelings about the new season. Um, so hopefully we can do that without breaking your rock-solid NDA, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Yeah, I guess that's like maybe a good place to start. So as a fan, you show up to BattleBots to attend a taping. Do they make you sign an NDA? Like, how do they prevent people in the audience from taking photos or videos or going immediately to Reddit and spoiling a match? You know, can you talk a little bit about the uh, kind of secrecy around the, the matches? Sure. Um, you do not sign an NDA, but by buying a ticket, you 
basically agree to the NDA that is in the fine print on the ticket. And um, it's otherwise just up to the audience not to do that. Yeah. Uh, They do have PAs watching everyone like a hawk, especially during matches. There's about a million cameras everywhere. So if you have your phone out filming, they're obviously going to see it. Um, And they have had to kick people out. I remember last season, their team um, found someone trying to upload something onto the internet. They immediately took it down and the audience basically outed the person who was filming and they got kicked out. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I think that's one of the coolest things about the fandom that there are hundreds of people who attend every single taping. Obviously there's, you know, a thousand people working inside of the production. There may be hundreds, probably more than a thousand people who know the results of the giant nut winner every year. And that together they all keep this big secret, which I think is really, really cool and speaks to how much people love this show. Definitely. Yeah. There's a lot of big changes this year, 2021. You know, we've got the new venue in Las Vegas. We've got this new arena hazard that we read about in the rules. Uh, we have the return of the live audience. And we also have some minor rule changes. Um, and I would love to kind of go through these one by one. So starting with the new venue in Vegas. Um I know, like, just kind of right off the bat, there were a lot of questions about the extreme heat. So as a fan, how much heat are you experiencing? Like, do you have to line up outside in the parking lot to get in? Is it hot inside of the venue? Can you talk about the heat? Um, It is very hot outside. Uh, The parking lot does have a smaller line. They do have to screen us every time we go in they make us show our covid vaccine proof um and then we go through security and then we get our wristbands so it can take uh quite a bit of standing outside um if you catch it right at the beginning when the line is really long yeah um but then the inside is nice and cool it does get a little warm just with so many bodies and robots but uh it's it's honestly pretty comfortable I went in the pits last night. It was pretty comfortable in there. So I'm really impressed with how cool they're able to keep it, even in a tent in the middle of a desert. So you're you're waiting in line, um, waiting to get inside the venue. I'm really curious kind of what happens next. Who's the first person that you meet uh, from production? You were talking about kind of the COVID precautions that they're going through. And then you get in to the building. Like, what do you see, uh, you know, in your kind of first first walk through the, the building? Can you kind of take us there behind the scenes and, and um, you know, as, as you're making your way to your seat? The first person that you see is a wonderful staff member who will check your uh, proof of vaccine. And then um, another couple of staff members will wand you down and look in your bags. And then you meet a lot of the PAs that will be inside or outside checking people in, giving you your badges and your wristbands. And then right when you go inside to the menu, there's a nice little lobby where there's uh, really nice bathrooms. It's a huge upgrade from 2019 when they just had the honey wagons outside. There's a snack area where you can buy water 
and different kinds of snacky foods. Um, there's the Platinum Lounge for the Super VIPs, um, which has free snacks and booze, apparently. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, they also like to take uh, other producers and and industry people, I guess, uh, back there. And um, John Remar came back to say hi, and uh, we saw Greg out front. So that was fun, uh, a great experience. But in the general lobby, there was a lot of signage and photo opportunities. And then past the lobby, there's uh, kind of the back of the studio where there are merch stations on each side. Um, you can see the back of the BattleBots letters and you go on either side of the battle box to get seated. Now, I know that you love BattleBots merch just as much as I do, so were you able to scope out any cool new BattleBots merch that you saw at the merch table? Can you talk about uh, anything that you're thinking about purchasing if you haven't bought it yet? I already bought my new uh, Season 6 BattleBot shirt. I saw that they had the Whiplash and uh, Sawblaze Hexbug kits there, so it's very tempting. They also have all the other individual Hexbugs, and they have a lot more team shirts on hand this year. I was sad they don't have face masks yet, because that would be nice. Yeah. Um, now, we also saw online people posted screenshots of an email that they got um, saying if there was a power outage on the first day. Were you caught in that power outage? Um, is there anything you can tell us more about that? I was not caught in the power outage, but it wreaked a lot of havoc on them. Um, they delayed filming by an hour. I was told the pits got to, like, in the 90 degrees. Like, they said 95, I think, at one point, because they lost AC in the pits. And yet they still had to be getting their robots ready to fight. So anytime they'd use a power tool, everyone would be like, no, you're making it hotter. <laughs> um, but I think the worst part, it seemed to really take down the audio. They said only two phases came back out of three. I honestly have no idea what that means, but apparently it's very bad because we had the first two robots get set up and then everything hung for about an hour as they tried to figure out the audio and it ended up where they had to completely reboot the whole system and rebuild it from the ground up. It was rough for them, but the producers felt so bad that they offered free tickets uh, for a later session and they really are trying to do everything they could to keep the fans, to not let it really affect the fans at all, even though I know it was affecting everyone else. Wow, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that everyone got um, got those vouchers for another another session. Um, I would love to ask also about some of the COVID precautions. So, are people wearing masks indoors? I know that we like saw this photo of a lot of people wearing masks, kind of like around the big rusty helmet uh, person, and um, you know, like are they taking masks off during filming for cheering or is there social distancing uh can you tell us more about covid precautions inside of the building yeah um there's no social distancing really they're still trying to make sure the fan the stands look 
nice and packed for filming, but we are wearing masks the whole time we're on premises. Like, as soon as you get out of the car, they want you to have a mask on. Um, they're obviously checking everyone's um, proof of vaccine, and uh, they have a rapid COVID tester on site. Even the teams are masked when they first come in. They take off their masks for um, the purposes of filming, but otherwise they put them back on once they start to leave, usually. Even Farouk wears a face shield when he's not on his um, little platform. Everyone's just being trying to be really careful. That's cool. I have just two more questions before I turn it over to Kyle. Um, one question is around the pits. So I, I know that you're... Well, First, hopefully you got to walk through the pits yesterday. I did. Oh, good. I know that your experience is probably different than most fans in that you're friends with a lot of the builders. So I'm sure that you got to see a lot of people who you talk with and hang out with, you know, like um, often. Um, But what was the pit experience like, you know, um, for a fan walking through the pits? Were you picking up custom poker chips left and right? Uh, (laughs) Were there stickers everywhere? Were you able to talk to any of the builders or people really super heads down um, working on their robots? Um, I went to the nighttime session for the VIP tour. So the pits were pretty sparse. I think everyone wanted to go eat dinner. That was the um, impression I got last night was that everyone was very hungry and cranky uh, towards the end of the day since it was such a weird day for the builders and uh, it started out hot and then had to hurry up and stuff like that. But um, I did have Bunny run up to me and hand me like this huge armful of Frisbees and stickers and keychains and she was like, just pass them out to your group. And so everyone in my group got stuff. Um, from Bunny specifically, so that was really neat. And um, there's a little table where teams leave stickers for people coming through the pit tour to pick up. But because of COVID, they really had to shorten it. They only take you through one small corner of the pits. Um, So you can still see the teams. A lot of them are definitely working hard. The poker chips seem to be like a team-to-team thing. Um, the, at the end of the pit door, we got a swag bag, which was just a BattleBots, uh, tote bag, um, a free t-shirt that was last year's t-shirt, and, uh, 2022 calendar, and some stickers and just random items, but I was really hoping for the poker chips, but they seem to be, uh, exclusive team items. Hmm. Yes. Um, did you get a chance to see more of, uh, like, outside of the pits? Did you get to see the production area? Did you get to see where Aaron Catlin sits and, you know, where the writers sit, uh, you know, Farouk's special green room? Um, you know, like, that kind of area at all? They did show us a little bit of it. They mostly took us on the other side of the battle box from where the producers sit, but we got to see, like, the Whopper Um, We could really see the shelf very well. Um, They let us take pictures of the inside of the battle box, which was surprising since in 2019, they really did not want that to happen. And I figured they'd be a lot more um, secretive with the shelf, but they were like, no, go ahead, take pictures of everything that you want to in the studio. Once we exited the studio, actually, once we got to the back, 
where they were editing, they were already starting to edit the um, footage from the day, and they said no pictures from this point onward. Otherwise, we got to walk through the tunnel uh, and take pictures. We got to go over to the pulverizer buttons and take pictures in the red light, blue light areas. Um, it was it was really exciting, and I think a lot of people would find it very worthwhile to attend a pitch, a pitch tour, even though it's a little limited from COVID, it was still a lot of fun. And they give you fun facts while you walk around. Oh, okay. So here's here's my big thing. I, um, I'm so curious about who was leading these tours because I feel like you and I, we could be the best tour guides for 2022. You know, like I feel like we should probably reach out and see if we can volunteer, you know, because tell me the, the people who, who were leading these, uh, these tours, were they, were they as knowledgeable as you and I would be, you know, did you learn stuff as a super fan? Um, I did not learn too much, but I learned that they put in about three miles of electrical, uh, wiring and, um, just kind of off the wall facts about more of the production side than I would have been aware of. Um, they talked about the Whopper, which I think you and I would know about. The first pit tour that I saw take off when I was leaving the first session, I actually saw the poor PA was just like reading off of a piece of paper. Aww. So they're just having the PAs do it. And uh, I think, it could improve, but there are comment cards in the tote bags that you get at the end that are like, please fill us out and tell us your experience and give us suggestions and things. Um, so I I know it'll be improved. Production keeps stepping it up every year. All right. I'm going to start the hashtag. Uh, hire, hire Mary Catherine Carr for PA 2021. Uh, 2022, you know. Uh, let's, let's get it going. <laughs> I'm down. I'll do it. All right, final question. Uh, you are famous, uh, you know, among the fans for being the very best sign maker, you know, there. I'd love to hear more about the process of making signs and how that's different this year than it was in previous years. Were there as many signs this year? Um, I heard someone was like, I can't find the sign making station. So maybe that doesn't exist anymore in Las Vegas. Um, you know, can you tell us about making signs? And then also sub question do you have a favorite sign that you've made that you think is definitely going to make it onto the TV broadcasts? There's no sign-making tent this year. Someone uh, guessed that it's probably COVID restrictions because previous years, the sign-making tent, they'd just leave markers out and poster board and let everyone grab what they wanted. Um, unfortunately, that also means there's no lineup for the day, so I can't just pick and choose my signs out of my box, I have to take the whole box in. But production seems to appreciate this having the signs because there's no sign making tent. There aren't quite as many signs in the audience. And they've for some reason put a cameraman on me. I feel like that means a fair amount of my signs will make it. Um, some of them aren't great signs. Some of them I just tried to slap together. Uh, for robots that I didn't know anything about yet. Um, I do have a couple of favorite signs. They involve lights and they look really great on camera. 
I think the jackpot sign is probably the best one. Everyone seemed to love it. It has a roulette wheel with the red and the black being I win, you lose. And then the green are judges' decisions. And then on the front, there's a die with uh, the number six for the sixth season. And um, the back has jackpot written in lights. And it, it's a lot of fun. And the team loved it. So I'm so grateful. That is amazing. I cannot wait to see it on TV. That is so, so exciting. All right, Kyle, on over to you to uh, ask about a million and a half listener questions, uh, about 500,000 of which definitely break the NDA. So uh, just caution there, Mary Catherine Carr. Don't let these listeners pull you into uh, getting kicked out of of filming, all right? Yeah, as Luke said... um... I promise to read all these questions, but a caution to any to everyone: a good percentage of these will violate Mary's NDA with BattleBots. So, Mary, feel free to answer under advisement from my lawyer. I will be declining to answer this question for any and/or all of the following. But let's go ahead and start with some safely non-NDA breaking questions. Um, really, more of a functional question from Christopher Spears: How early do people arrive to get in line? Uh, well, there's already people arriving right now. Um, which is an hour beforehand. I've seen people walking in, getting checked in. There's not much of a line right now, so it's pretty sparse. The parking lot's also pretty sparse. I would say plan to come at least 30 minutes early. If you can come earlier than that, then you'll get through all the checkpoints a lot faster because you won't have to be waiting in the heat. Um, But there trying to cycle people pretty quickly so i'd say 45 minutes would be great but you can come up to 90 minutes early so um so i got a good question from fellow ticket holding fan bob schlau who wants to know what should we expect if we are attending a taping i'm bringing my sons and want to let them know what to expect also is there uh is there places to go with your kids like if it gets to be a little bit too much and you got to get them got to get them into a, a quieter spot does that exist there have you noticed um, yeah, you just have to exit the studio. There's a few places where you can go outside, um, but the lobby is nice and quiet during filming. Um, it's got a, the snack station. It's got a fair amount of room. So if your kids just need to run around, the kids have been really great so far. And I mean, there's a lot of waiting between fights. Um, so if your kid needs something to do to stay focused, bring that because there's definitely... My experience is one fight every 20 minutes. Last night, they were able to pack in 10 fights in four hours, which is very unusual. So there's downtime. That's one thing to really expect. The other thing is they're going to ask you to stand up and sit down a ton. They're going to ask you to cheer a ton. As you can tell, my voice is already gone after one day. They really appreciate you keeping the enthusiasm up as much as possible, but there's definitely uh, places to go if you need, you know, a break. And there's time to do it between fights. Nice. Um, So Curtis Honeycutt wants to know, what team, in your opinion, has the best coordinated outfits, a.k.a. pit fashion, this year? Oh my goodness. I love Hijinx's aesthetic. Their like, 80s punk rock aesthetic is so great. Jackpot has these amazing vests this season. I'd have to say those two are great, but in-game, um, 
totally has a new look, and it's awesome, and I can't wait for people to see it. All right, so speaking of pits, good questions from Bombshell team member Stephanie Sayers. Um, Farmer, who asks, how many teams showed up with customized poker chips that you saw? Uh, I only saw them on social media. We didn't get to see them at all in the pit tour. So I would say as many as you've seen, I've seen. Or as many as I've seen, you've seen. (laughs) Only a little bit salty about that, I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) They just look so cool. I'm so excited. So uh, speaking of the pits as well... um, who has the best setup for staying cool in the pits? Anyone right next to the literal giant tubes of air. I think I saw that Sub-Zero, on one of Scorpius's videos, Sub-Zero is like right underneath the giant AC units. So probably them. In keeping with their name, I like that. That's smart. Yeah, exactly. All right, so good set of questions from Alexander Archer. So how are you feeling about being at filming with a live audience this season? Is it is it exciting? Is it interesting? Is it weird? Like, I know a lot of us haven't been at big live events kind of since COVID. So how does it feel to kind of be in that room? Uh, it's really great to be back in the live audience. I love the energy that everyone brings. Um, it was a little weird yesterday. I think just with the power outage, it felt uh just kind of a little like the energy was down but the evening session really brought it and that seemed to help a lot so alexander also wants to know who are you rooting for to win the giant nut this season uh yes everyone (laughs) someone from team tantrum asked me yesterday who i was i was most excited to see and i could just say like yes everyone Well, fair enough. How do you feel about the show now being filmed in Vegas instead of Long Beach? Do you like this kind of Vegas setup a little bit better? What are your thoughts? You've been to both, right? Yes, I've been to both. Um, I like the venue better here in Vegas. Um, the It was a little awkward just having the giant airplane hangar in Long Beach where like half of it seemed like it was completely unused and... I think the ventilation system is better here. There were lipo fires yesterday, as there are in BattleBots, and we didn't feel like we were gagging on it quite as much here as we did in Long Beach. Um, So I think this venue is is great. Uh, I feel a little bad that the builders have to be in the tents, but honestly, the tent was pretty neat. Yeah, I like that. um, Greg keeps saying this is their permanent home, and I guess we'll see. All right, so this is uh, getting into NDA territory, perhaps. So what do you think of the new arena hazard known as The Shelf? And what's your personal opinion of it now that you've laid eyes on it? I, I know you may not be able to like describe it to us or whatever, but, but we want to know what you think. I mean, they let us take pictures of it, so it can't be that secretive anymore. It's not really doing anything yet. Um, I don't think people have really figured out a good strategy for it. Maybe one builder, uh, one driver has really done well with it. Um, Otherwise, it just seems to be kind of a non-issue. Interesting. So they just haven't... People are still adapting to it, basically. Yeah. Now, in theory, do you like it as an arena hazard? Do you not like it? What's your personal opinion? Um, Personally, I'm moot on it. <laughs> it's not exciting. It's not not exciting. <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of there. Yeah, it's, 
It's a thing. <laughs> it exists. Fair enough. Um, all right, so good speculative question from Gareth Jones, who asks, which 2021 rookie do you think will be the underdog of this season? Mm, I'm going to put my money on Switchback. You like the bot? You've seen them. You've seen it in person? Does it look pretty cool? Seen it in action. Uh, seen the team. They brought a lot of great energy. I think it might do well. Wow. All right. That's like uh, more in, like confidence than the actual um, team captain when we spoke to him. So that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Tom Farkas, our favorite mail carrier from Cooperstown, wants to know, is Shredderator still spinning from last year? Yes. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> All right. So it seems like this would be way easier to attend this event with the cheap flights to Vegas and more hotels around. Uh, was that your experience? I mean, I know you kind of bring your house with you, but have you heard anybody having problems with uh, with getting hotels or anything like that? No. Um, I thought I might have trouble finding somewhere to park since I figured it would be really busy here, but uh, no one surprisingly wants to be in the desert in the summertime, so I'm sure there's plenty of cheap hotel deals during the summer. Yeah, I'll bet there are. That makes perfect sense. Who wants to go to Vegas in the summer? Literally nobody. You're right. Um, how loud are these bots in person? The this, this specific question is how loud are Minotaur and Copperhead in person? But I guess a really good question is like, how loud are these things in person? They hand out earplugs, but I've never used them. The music they play is louder than the robots when they're in the box. Um, but I mean, it's a it's a nice little death hum. I wouldn't say I haven't seen Ice Wave yet, so um, full disclosure that I haven't seen the noisiest one yet. But the drums, I I think it's a great fun noise to hear. Um, but I wouldn't say ear piercingly loud yet. Finally, one word question still from Tom Yeti. Oh Yeti! I'm so excited for Yeti. <laughs> it looks really cool. Have you gotten to see it up close yet? It does. I have, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Does Greg look happy to be there, or does he look like, uh, does he look like, oh man, why did I get roped into this again? Um, 50-50. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, alright, so, good question from Noel Viegas, who wants to know, any wild predictions for the round of 32? Um, like a bot you think will or won't make it? Or about being seated higher or lower than we think, just based on your kind of initial impressions of seeing everybody and seeing what the bots look like and how the teams are, you know, feeling and looking this year? Yeah, um, I think after seeing Shatter, oh my goodness, they are going to go deep, I think. They've really redesigned a lot with their robot and it looks fantastic. So my husband took meticulous notes during the filming yesterday. Um, just in case y'all needed it. And he has like timestamps and like when stuff is happening, what exactly is happening. It, it's great. Um, so he knows like who had to do judges' decisions and um, who caught on fire. Uh, I did hear that one of the teams that caught on fire was still burning about two hours later. Deep Six seems to have worked out their stuff, so I could see them going pretty deep too. Uh, deep six. <laughs> oh, got a full redesign, and they are looking great. Yeah, that hasn't been revealed at all. Deep six has been revealed as far as like what it looks like aesthetically, but I'm excited to hear that they're uh, they're kind of dialing it in. Yeah, they're definitely dialing it in. Um, it's terrifying. 
the floor is crying. So. All right. So next question from Noel. Um, can you describe the first fight with three words? One word not being related to the actual fight, just to throw us off. <laughs> Let's see. Um, exciting, disappointing, and um, flames. Oh wow! All right. Exciting, disappointing, and flames. That's uh, that's the description for the first fight. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, question from Jake Anderson: Have you found the stunt nut yet? Was it under the fridge or in the sofa cushions? From what I hear, they have not found it, but I think they need to dig a little deeper into the couches. <laughs> um, and then this is a strange question from James Williams. This is one of those like, oh, are you really a super fan questions? Um, so can you name 50 bots in a minute? I have a timer on my phone. I can start it whenever you're ready. <laughs> Oh, man, 50 is going to be hard. Um, you can reject these questions, Mary. Just uh, tell Noel to uh, kick rocks. That's fine, too. All right? All right, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Okay, we got Big Deal, Beta, Copperhead, Captain Shredderator, Deadlift, um, Hijinks, Mammoth, Minotaur, Black Dragon, uh, uh, let's go with Nelly, uh, part of my French, uh, Gigabyte, uh, Witch Doctor, Duck, Tantrum, Blip, I don't know what number I'm on now, I lost count on my fingers, uh, just keep going, I'm keeping count, Tantrum, Malice, uh, Jackpot, Tombstone, uh, Blacksmith, Defender and Ribot, Switchback Gruff, Sub-Zero, Shatter, Hydra, Endgame, Uppercut, Yeti, Mad Catter, Pain Train, Deep Six, Valkyrie, P1, Sawblaze, Minotaur. Done. All right. So that was 37. That is oh. good. That is good. <laughs> that's pretty good. I don't think I could do better than that. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. No, that's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's start by saying that it's straying into potentially NDA-breaking territory, so this segment might be very fast. Um, all right, so are there any new bots or returning bots with design changes that really stood out to you at first glance? I know you've mentioned a few already, but is there any others that you want to make sure that we know about? I mentioned and, um, oh, Jackpot looks so great. Shatter um, just looks so amazing as well. I really feel like a lot of teams dialed it in and are stepping it up this season, despite having maybe a shorter build time than last season. The only one I would say is Blacksmith. Oh my god, Blacksmith is so different, you wouldn't recognize it. Awesome. Yeah, they've been pretty secretive about the changes they've made, so I'm really excited to see what they came up with. Um, Alright, so Daniel Tuffin asks, Which bot impressed you the most in your first day? Um, and then also, this is a weird one, but how fair is the judging criteria this season in your limited experience? I would say for judges' decisions, I've pretty much agreed with them. There was one judge's decision I was a little iffy on, but I would say based on that, the judges' criteria seems to be working fine this season. Um, Good. They haven't gone over what that criteria is to the audience yet 
so I'm not sure. They did say one of the choices was like a clear 5-6 for everyone, and so far we have not had any split decisions. So they all seem to be on the same page, which is nice, I guess, which probably means it's fair. The team that impressed me the most was definitely Shatter. Just seeing that hammer go full ham and be so effective. Um, otherwise, um, uh, Rotator. Sorry, I was, had to check the note. Um, I remember the fight, but there was, there was one fight that was just, um, I'll say, explosive. Nice. Uh, Drew Willis asks, is the floor the same? Will the kill saws actually work? Um, I mean, the kill saws haven't been upgraded as much as the robots have been upgraded. That's why you don't see them looking super effective anymore. The robots are just made of much better stuff than they used to be. And I think it would be hard for any floor hazard to really affect them since they're building for one another and not for the arena hazards. But um, the floor is still the same. Every, there's it doesn't seem to be any traction issues this season, so I think people learned from last season. All right, and then finally, we'd like to close out the show with a series of deeply philosophical questions from fellow BattleBot super fan and co-host Lindsay Bear, who wants to know how did you come to find and love BattleBots? I first found BattleBots late at night when uh, my free. Uh, over-the-air TV would show old replays of Comedy Central era BattleBots. So I'd stay up late and watch that, and it would be followed by um, the Japanese Iron Chef, which I also loved, so it was a win-win for me. Um, I found it again um, after getting married to this weird guy who doesn't like television, and he was like, oh, I'll actually watch this with you. So it was something that uh, we could bond over, and when we figured out that they actually had a, like, a live audience, uh, I started looking into maybe going and what it would entail, how much it would be. I was, assumed it would be way out of our budget, but it happened to be that right after I started looking it up, they were like, oh, we have tickets for the next season, and that happened to be the year of our 10th anniversary so we decided let's take a trip and uh, we went to all of the 2019 sessions and I just fell in love with the passion and energy that all of the teams were putting into this thing and I couldn't help but love every single team who was doing so much to uh, make a TV show that I enjoyed so much. That's awesome. I really like that a lot. All right, so um, what type of bot would you build, and what would you name it? Color scheme or other inspirations? Oh, my goodness. It would probably be, like, a super fin power bot aesthetic. I don't know, an overhead spinner or something. Definitely not a vert, but something a little more niche, I guess. Next question from Lindsay. Will you continue to add new BattleBots to your tattoo as you gain new favorites? Oh, definitely. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, the girl who um, just designed my tattoo, she's on Team Yeti this year, so I definitely have some ideas. 
Nice. That's awesome. Does your husband love BattleBots as much as you do, or even close? I would say as much as me. He's just not on social media, so no one sees him. (laughs) Which BattleBot would be the best at administering vaccines? Shatter, but it would be very painful. Man, I was going to say Rusty, but you'd also have to get the tetanus shot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Alright, so which BattleBot would you like to have guard your RV when you're traveling? Based on aesthetic, probably hijinks. (laughs) Also would be terrible for your tires, though. True. (laughs) But also terrible on ankles. Yeah, real bad on ankles. Uh, Real, real bad. Um, So any tips on how to get into the RV traveling life, and what do you like most about it? Um, My tip would be just to do it. If If you're interested in it, just, like, commit. Um, because starting out, it can be really scary to, like, be like, I have so much stuff. How am I ever going to fit it somewhere that small? Um, but we just buckled down. We went through room by room. We sold or got rid of or stored things that, based on, um, what we felt like we would need or not need and... Uh, it was really freeing to just get rid of so much junk, but it's not great when you want a lot of BattleBots merch and you're like, could I get this? Will I use it? Um, the answer is yes, by the way, to all of those questions. It's also not great to come to the desert in the middle of summer. Oh yeah. RAC units could only cool 20 degrees. So when it's up in the 110s, it's 90 in our trailer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry but about that. Fans. <laughs> oh, well. Um, all right, so final question from Lindsay. What is the most vital item to bring for campground living? Mostly a selfish question since Chris and I will be spending two weeks in a tent next month. Oh, man, in a tent. That's more dedication than I have. Um <laughs> Something for water filtration, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty important. <laughs> Total boring answer. <laughs> but I I definitely could not spend any time in a tent. I like all the creature comforts an RV offers. You have AC, you have plumbing. Sure, you have to mess with that plumbing sometimes, but better than going in the middle of the woods. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for talking with us today. We're looking forward to seeing you next week in Vegas. Um, Oh, are you coming? Hopefully you and Luke can take all of the selfies and hang out and the pits together. I'm not coming. No, this is my kids. My kids are starting school this week, so I gotta gotta be here for that for sure. Mary, it's just me. uh, I'm the the only behind the bots co-host who's uh, going to Vegas uh, this year. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to be doing uh, doing the the pit the pit reporting thing on Sunday. I've got a press pass, and then um, I'm going to be t- attending at least one taping. So um, I'll certainly see you either Sunday or Tuesday uh, for my for my for my ticketed ticketed session. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. This will be this will be your first time watching full combat heavyweights, right, Luke? Uh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen like sportsman heavyweights at uh, robot ruckus in Florida, but yeah, first time, first time seeing the big show. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Well, thanks so much. I, I, I really appreciate it. this. This has been so fantastic and, um, really, uh, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your, uh, your week. Thanks. I'm looking forward to dark days tomorrow. <laughs>
<laughs> After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week we're traveling to Elon Musk's reality distortion field, where the enigmatic CEO of Tesla is promising to build a humanoid robot tentatively called Tesla Bot. Really creative. Uh, Tesla Bot will stand 5 feet 8 inches tall and weigh 125 pounds. In an announcement, Musk said his company would design Tesla Bot to be slow enough that humans would be able to run away from it and weak enough that humans would be able to overpower it if it ever came to that. Musk said, quote, It's intended to be friendly, of course, and navigate through a world of humans and eliminate dangerous, repetitive, and boring tasks like going to the grocery store. Uh, I just Googled this to see what it looked like. And this bot does not look weak, nor does it look slow. It looks like a sleek killing machine, uh, devoid of features, and uh, really optimized for performance in ways that humans are not. I don't trust it. But you could, own, you can like just barely overpower it. <laughs> What like what was up with the language there? You could you could probably outrun it unless you have asthma or the gout. Uh and you could probably overpower it unless you're uh you know a an eighty six year old man who uh who only lives off of toast and, and milk. What they're saying is this robot's like the average eleven year old human. It talks back to you? No, I'm just saying like your average adult can outrun your average 11-year-old. Your average adult can overpower your average 11-year-old, you know, like sucks for those 9-year-olds. I don't I don't know if I could overpower the uh the average 11-year-olds. When I was 11, <laughs> I worked at a coal mine, Kyle. <laughs> I used to have to push the carts up from the bottom. <laughs> I got the black lung, okay? Okay, fair enough. I just feel like Elon Musk is Oscar Isaac's character from Ex Machina, and we're all just living in his world until his experiment, you know, backfires. And then, uh, well, I don't want to spoil the end of the movie. It's really good, but uh, I just feel like we, we are his playthings. <laughs> uh, just by Doge. That's all I know. It's uh, it's not quite strong enough to knock you over, but the uh, the acid spray that comes out of its fingertips. <laughs> Uh, will really cause severe burns. <laughs> and that's about it for us today. Uh, thank you for hanging around for a, a fun, dramatic episode. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with a special Las Vegas pit report from Luke. Woo! I know that guy. Yeehaw. Wait a minute. I'm the pit reporter. <laughs> we'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye.